You're listening to Pastor Don Cherry from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded on March 21st, 2021. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. Very much. You know, just a couple weeks, it is the resurrection. We rejoice in that time, and literally Christians, believers all around the world are going to celebrate that. But you know what? There could not have been a resurrection if not for the cross. If Christ hadn't went to the cross as a sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world, there would be no resurrection. But He was willing to do so, not for Himself, but for you and for me. I want to encourage you um, to keep the uh, Good Friday service in mind, the Friday before Easter, as we'll be assembling here with uh, about uh, three or four other churches and everything, just having a time of communion, time of worship, time of fellowship together, and preparation for that celebration. Everything. Remember what Christ did for us, and things that we have that hope of eternal life because of what Christ did for you and I. Luke chapter 22, I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles there, and um, uh, the message is going to be somewhat of an antithesis, I guess you could say, to the um, theme of the songs and everything, but it'll connect and all because it's all about Him, amen, and all it's all about Christ. But uh, my wife will remember this. Um, In our first or second year of college, I can't remember which one it was, um, we were all assembled students there at Baptist Bible College in the field house for our weekly chapel service. At that time, the college ran, I don't know, 2,000, 2,100, something like that. And all uh, students on each side of the gym, and all we had the platform up there, the choir, Dev and I were in the school choir, and all we were up there on the platform going through the songs and such as like that. Well, our speaker that morning was Dr. A.B. Henderson, and Dr. Henderson was late getting there. So, you know, after the songs, whoever was emceeing kind of got up, you know, and did a tap dance or whatever, you know, just trying to, you know, kill some time and that. And so from the back of the gym, Dr. Henderson came in, and as he was coming in, he took his hat off, he took his jacket off, he walked up to the platform, he laid his jacket, his hat down, he went to the pulpit, opened his Bible, he looked at his students, and this is what came out of his mouth. The devil wants to nail your hide to the wall. That's what he started out. And you could almost hear a collective, where are we going with this? You know? And let me tell you something, for the next 10 minutes, and that's all it was, for the next 10 minutes, that man proclaimed God's word and all proclaimed the victory in Jesus Christ, proclaimed that we have a real adversary, the devil, that walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When he was finished, he shut his Bible, grabbed his hat, grabbed his coat, walked out the door. Let me tell you something, 2,200 students in that gym, you could have heard a pen drop. They're wanting the sound to be made. Man, we had just been brought, literally, into the presence of God. It was an unbelievable experience. It, it is as real to me right now as you are sitting in front of me. You know, we all have those memories of life and everything that we say it was just like it was yesterday. You know, we've all got those, right? Well, this is like it was just five minutes ago. You know, we can see it that clear. You know, you might have remembered maybe about three or four weeks ago, I sent out an email bulletin to our body here. And basically just, uh, you know, reminding us that God God has been blessing here at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church. You know, and we're grateful for that. 
We've seen some new folks come in. You know, we've gotten some things done with the facilities. Um, uh, wonderful spirit, you know, grateful for each and every one of you. And we've seen some good things. And, you know, one thing that I'm very thankful for is that over this whole COVID season and everything, our offerings really haven't taken a hit. You know, you have been faithful. Thank you for that. We praise the Lord for that. But the purpose of that email is saying, yes, you know, it's wonderful to see the blessings of God. Yes, it's wonderful to see things get done. Yes, it's wonderful and everything to see the offerings come in and such as like that. But here's what we need to remember. We have an adversary. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, he will blindside us. I remember um, Larry might have might uh, recall this since he he was a motorcycle rider also. But when I was uh, taking the course to get my endorsement for my motorcycle license, I remember one thing that the instructor and everything repeated throughout the two days of that stru- uh, instruction. He said, "Always keep your head on a swivel." Always keep your head on a swivel. You have to be aware of what is going on around you because on that motorcycle, somebody pulls out in front of you, somebody clips your back. You're you're done. You're pretty much history and all. You don't have any protection around you whatsoever. Keep your eye. He said, anticipate. Anticipate what might happen here because it very well could. You've got to be ready. Well, I want you to look there at our text in Luke chapter 22. I'm going to take two verses, beginning in verse 31. Now here Jesus is speaking to Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. I want to look at this and just give you a little backstory to what's taking place here. You know, um, Tim alluded to the Passover, okay, and the time that Jerusalem was preparing, Jesus was preparing, the Jews were preparing for this, probably their most solemn feast throughout the entire year. They're getting ready for this. And this is what is taking place right here. Jesus and his disciples are preparing for the Passover. If you read on a little while, that's what you're going to come across, okay? So they are preparing for this uh, Passover. And Jesus takes that time of preparation to teach a couple of things. One, a couple of the disciples were jockeying as far as who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Who's going to be number one? Who's going to sit in that highest place with you in your kingdom? And Jesus told him this, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you learn to be a servant. You learn to be a servant. Because Jesus gave that example, didn't he? Over there in Philippians chapter 2, where he said that he took upon himself the form of a servant. He made himself of no reputation and everything, and he humbled himself. This was God who humbled himself in order to connect with us and to be our sacrifice, you see. He humbled himself. He taught servanthood. He lived servanthood. He said, I have not come to to be served, but to serve. And then he told him, keep your eyes on eternity. Keep your eyes on eternity. Yes, you're on this earth, but you want to keep your eyes focused where they need to be. Everything on the kingdom, on eternity, because that's what's important. How many people, how many people live their lives today and everything to, to accumulate everything they can in this life? Only as the Bible says, what profit a man if he gained the whole world, but yet 
you lose his own soul, you see. Who was it? Was it John D. Rockefeller? I'm not sure. But, you know, multimillionaire, Standard Oil Company. And somebody asked him one time, he said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he said, one more million. One more million. You know, I have no idea what John D. Rockefeller is in eternity right now. But I can tell you one thing, whichever way, his millions didn't help him at all. You see. So the Lord directs Peter. Now, to me, that's pretty cool. because I mean, he is, he is talking to Peter right here. One-on-one. Peter, I'm facing you. And here's what he basically says. Peter, I want you to keep your eyes on eternity. Peter, I want you to learn to be a servant. Peter, the devil's coming. The devil's coming. The devil's coming. And folks, here's a mistake that every one of us, whether it's pulpit or pew, make. We have this mindset that Satan can't touch us. We have this mindset that I'm a child of God. We're in church. Things are going well. Satan can't touch us. Let me tell you something. If that is your mentality this morning, dear friend, you have just painted this big target on your back. Because the Bible is very clear. We, we, Tim, Eric, Sandy, Kathy, Stan, Deb, right on down the line, we have an adversary, the devil, that walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So let's break this down just a little bit. So who is this guy? And this is why I want to say this. Because I have heard on a number of occasions, I have heard on a number of occasions that Satan is nothing but a myth. He's nothing but a that of stories. David, you got those slides? Let's look up here for just a moment. So when we think of the devil, what image comes to your mind? Maybe that. Okay. I mean, a dirt devil, right? How many of you have a dirt devil at home? Okay, okay, a couple of you, yeah. Let's look at the next one here. I mean, you remember him. Okay, yeah. You remember the Tasmanian devil, don't you? All right. I mean, these are some of the images that we grew up with as kids. And all y'all remember watching these, you know, Tasmanian, yeah, all that stuff. We remember watching, you know. Oh, he's a cartoon. He's a cartoon. There's no devil. He's a cartoon. He's a vacuum cleaner, <laughs> you know. Let's go on, David. There we go. These are some of the cartoon images that a lot of your kids, grandkids may be watching. You know, it's what you're seeing. Move on. What about that? Again. <laughs> again, a cartoon, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? Do you see how society is putting this out there as far as who he is? Let's move on. Now, here's an old classical picture. You go back in classical art, literature, such as like that, you know, and there is that, there is that image, that, that kind of hideous image, okay, of the devil. Go ahead, David. There we go. That's a classic image of good versus evil, right? Isn't that how we see it? Good versus evil, light versus darkness, God versus Satan. Okay, here we go. Move on. I want you to notice here, just notice that image for a moment. That's not too scary, is it? 
Matter of fact, you know, he kind of looks like that normal guy. Okay, he's got some wings, but okay, that's just a big deal. All right? So there we have it. He's just a normal guy. What does the Bible say about Satan? What does the Bible say about Satan? He can clothe himself as an angel of light, you know. He can make things look good. He can clothe himself as an angel of light. Let's move on. Mm. Maybe that's the image that is conjured up, you see. But even that would be false. Even that would be false, you see. And I want to show you why. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Let's move on here just a little bit. Who he is, how he works. He has successfully clothed himself as myth and legend. Have you ever stopped and asked people, hey, do you believe in the devil? And see what they say? Oh, yeah, storybooks, cartoons, one thing after another like that. Not only that, but I believe he has also lulled believers to sleep. He's lulled us to sleep by taking maybe the blessings of God, maybe by maybe taking the goodness of God. And we think, boy, things are going great and everything. We're happy and all, you know, we're comfortable and things are going well and such like that. And then Satan has lulled us to sleep with that. And then before long, before long, the ship rattles. We think, what happened? Oh, my goodness, we've had an iceberg. We're taking on water. You see what I'm saying? Water. You understand what I'm talking about here? But here's what I want, to, want you to understand this morning. Satan is not an eternal being. And by that I mean, you know, he was not around in the beginning. And the Bible tells us in the beginning who? God created the heavens and the earth. Matter of fact, if you go to John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus in the beginning. But you don't read of anywhere of other beings or another being at this time. But I do want you to go with me to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel chapter 28. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here. I'll get there shortly. There we go. Ezekiel chapter 28. You might say, Pastor, where is that? On page 854. Ezekiel 28, pick it up in verse 13. Now listen real quick. Real close. This is in the Old Covenant, all right? I want you to listen to the words. You, he's talking about the king of Tyrus, who is a type of Satan, okay, in typology. He said, you have been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the topaz, and I can't pronounce half of those, so we're going to skip them. The workmanship of your tabrays and of thy pipes was prepared in you in the day that you were what? Created. Created. All right? Who's he talking about? He's talking about the devil. In the day that you were created, you are the anointed cherub that covers, and I have set you so. You were upon the holy mountain of God. You walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity 
was found in you. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Thou hast sinned, therefore, I will cast you as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You were corrupted by wisdom, by reason, and brightness. I will cast you to hell. Nobody's reading their Bibles. What does it say, folks? I will cast you where? To the ground. To the ground. To the ground. Where is he talking about? The earth. I will lay you before kings that they may behold you. Now, are you getting the picture right there? You getting the picture? Let me break that down just a little bit. Number one, this being was a created being. This being was a created being. All right? So he was not with God in the beginning. He is not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent like God, but he was a created being. He was a powerful being because if you look, he was the cherub, the anointed cherub. Matter of fact, there are many scholars today that believe that this being, this created being, was actually the worship leader of heaven. That he is the one that called the host of heaven together to worship at the throne of God. He's created. Secondly, he is perfect in beauty. He was the most beautiful thing there was. Of all God's creation, there was nothing more beautiful than this individual. Nothing more beautiful. But this beautiful created being was free to follow or rebel. He had freedom. He wasn't created as a robot. He wasn't pre-programmed in any way, shape, or form at all. He had free will, just like you and I do, to either choose to follow God or to rebel. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Because here's something I've heard. Maybe you've heard this too. Well, since God created Satan, and Satan brought sin into the world, that must be God is okay with sin. Now, that sounds logical, doesn't it? Think about it for a minute. God created him. He brought sin into the world. Evidently, God's okay with sin. Here's what we need to understand. God created a being by the name of Lucifer, the son of the morning. One of the three, I believe, heavenly archangels to go along with Michael and, Dave, uh, and Daniel, Gabriel. One of those three angels. Lucifer, son of the morning, beautiful in everything, can, can pass himself off as an angel of light. But he chose to become Satan, Diablos, the adversary. And that adversary is our adversary today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And here's the thing, folks, I want you to understand. You know, if you've ever played sports in any way, you know that over time, you have to change a playbook, don't you, Sanford? You have to change a playbook. Because if you don't, you know, the other team, they're going to learn what you do, and they're going to be ready. They're going to be prepared for it. So you've got to change how you do things. Well, here's the thing about the devil. He has never, ever changed his playbook. His trump card, no pun intended there, his trump card has always been to deceive. It's always been to deceive in order to confuse and to corrupt. 
That's his playbook, is deception. We saw that in the garden, didn't we? We saw that in the garden, you see. And he's never changed from that time. So if we look back over here to Luke for just a moment, in Luke chapter 22, let's break this down and look at the particulars who are in here. First of all, Peter. So who is Peter? Well, most likely Peter was the de facto spokesman of the apostles. It seemed like if one would saw, okay, who's the boss and everything? Peter rose to the top. He was the one who looked at possibly because of his age, possibly because of his maturity or such like that. But nonetheless, Peter had, uh, ha- had a chief place among the apostles. He was also part of Jesus' and his inner circle. You remember oftentimes there was Peter, James, and John. You remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Who was up there with Jesus? Peter, James, and John. And oftentimes Peter, you know, was, was in that uh, relationship with Christ that way. Now, let's look at Satan for just a moment and his relationship to Peter. What did he say? Jesus told him that, you know, the devil wants to sift you as wheat. How many of you ladies have ever sifted flour? So you understand that, don't you? Anything. That sifting, that word sift literally means to shake or to rattle. Okay? That's what Jesus was warning Peter about. That Satan wants to shake you. He wants to rattle you, Peter. He wants to shake you. He wants to rattle you. He wants to see which is greater, Peter, your faith or your fear. Because, you know, Peter experienced both of them. Matter of fact, you remember the disciples were on the water? Storm brewed up. They were scared. Man, they were fearful. But then they saw what? They saw Jesus, didn't they? Walking on the water. Man, this is great. What did Peter say? Hey, Lord, I want to come to you. And what did Jesus say? Come on. So Peter stepped out of the boat. He started walking on that water. But then what happened? Folks, what happened, Nathaniel? He, he turned and he got distracted and he started to go on the water. Very good. Okay. Give that boy an A. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what happened. As long as Peter's eyes were fixed on the Lord, he was walking on the water. But as soon as his eyes turned to the waves and turned to the struggles and turned to the circumstances, he started to go down, you see. Now, a lot of pe- people, they jump on Peter for that. Well, look at Peter and all, just the lack of faith and one thing after another. Hey, let me tell you something. Of those 12 disciples in that boat, he was the only one willing to get out. So you got to give him some credit there, amen? He was willing to get out. Too many of us oftentimes aren't willing to get out of the boat because our fear is greater than our faith, you see. So now we look at what Jesus said. What did Jesus say here? He said, Peter, I'm going to pray for you. Would you let that just sink in for just a minute? Jesus is telling one of his disciples, I'm going to pray for you. Do you know today Jesus prays for us? Jesus prays for you, Sanford. Jesus prays for you, Janice. Jesus prays for you, Wellen. Jesus prays for you, Wanda. Matter of fact, he prays twice for you. You know that, don't you? Amen. Oh, he prays for us. Why? Because the Bible says we have an advocate 
with the Father. We have one that goes to bat for us. We have one that goes before the throne of God. When Satan, who is the accuser of the brother, comes and says, man, God, did you see this child of yours? They did this, they did this, they did this. They said this, they did this, they did this. Jesus steps in between and says, oh, hang on. It's under the blood. Yes, sir. It's under the blood. You see, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the Pope. No, 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 no. We have one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Our high priest today, Eric, you know, who sits in intercession for you and I. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus' prayer of intercession for his disciples. You know, oftentimes we say, talk about where's the Lord's prayer, we point to Matthew chapter 5, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's really not the Lord's prayer. If you remember behind that, and all the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. If you want to get to the Lord's prayer, go to John chapter 17, and you will see his intercessory prayer on behalf of his disciples, not just the ones at that time 2,000 years ago with him, but also for all those who were following, in other words, you and me, okay? You and me. And if you look over in John chapter 17, if you want to, you don't have to go there. And all, but there's four things that Jesus prayed about very quickly here. One, he prayed for unity. Unity among the disciples. Unity among his children. Unity among his people. Folks, one of the reasons that there's a group of churches coming together on Good Friday is to show unity in the body. Yes, these are other local churches with the same calling that we have. But you know what? Here's the thing. We're all the children of God. We're all part of the church. We're all part of the bride. And we have a common purpose. And that is to be salt, to be light, to be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. And this is what Christ is praying here, that there be unity among his believers. Unity in our churches today. Unity in our churches today. Unity in our families today. Unity in our relationships today. He's also praying that we overcome evil. How do we overcome evil? The Bible says we overcome evil with what? Good. Okay. That comes to doing according to God's Word, how God's Word leads and guides direct. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And if we obey as God's Word instructs, then God blesses. Overcome evil through the instruction of the Word. He said that we would be sanctified through the Word of God. Okay? Sanctified through the Word of God. The Word of God is that instruction. Shows us how God wants us to live. Man, you know, here's the bottom line. Is there anybody in here other than Richard, and I'm going to expect it out of him. (laughs) Is there anybody in here that does not want to be blessed? We all want to be blessed, don't we? I mean, how how goofy would that be for somebody to get up and say, Pastor, I want you to know something. I don't want God's blessings. Are you crazy? No. No, we want God's blessings, don't we? Well, how do we get, though? By being obedient to His Word. By being in the Word. By being obedient to that instruction. And here's the thing, folks, and you've heard me say this time after time again. 
if the only time you're, you're bringing your Bible and you're opening your Bible and all this, when you come once a week to church and everything, then you are spiritually starving. You cannot sustain spiritually on that. And we have the resources to get into the Word of God, to hear, to, 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 to gain so we can see God's plan and God's purpose for us, that we can have the kind of walk He wants to have with us. Think about that. The kind of walk that God wants to have with us. And then he prays that God's love would be evident in us. And he said, let me give you an example of that. That we are to love others as God has loved us. You know, there's no greater picture of love, is there? And I'll tell you one thing, I can't remember who it was that sang it back in the 60s or 70s but said what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Let me tell you what the world needs now is God's love, right. sweet love. But where are they, they going to see that? <coughs> they're going to see it in you. And they're going to see it in me. We're show God's love. 1 Peter 5 eight. be watchful, be alert, because we have an adversary. Very quickly, what are we to be watchful and alert over? Personal temptation. What do I mean by that? Every one of us are different, right? We're all different. But here's the thing you need to know. Satan knows what buttons to push. He knows what buttons to push. My buttons are different than Scott's. Okay? Shane's buttons are different than Stan's. Charles' buttons are different than Bill's. And Satan knows each and every one of them. And if we're not watchful, if we're not alert, now let me tell you something, folks. He'll push that button. Yeah. He'll push that button. From a corporate standpoint, what we are to be watchful and alert over is division. If the devil can get in and cause division, divide the body. He's won a victory. Let me tell you something, folks. I've heard it often. The most, the most, the, the individual that Satan fears the most is a praying Christian. The institution that Satan fears the most is a unified church. And if he can divide us, he will. You've experienced that at one time. It's not a pleasant thing, is it? But you know what divides most churches? It's our preferences. Oftentimes it's not doctrine, it's preferences. We all have different preferences in here, amen? Yeah. There's a lot of you that would like to see all these instruments up every Sunday morning being used. There's some of you think that the only instrument should be here is that piano. And that's okay. It's preference. Okay? No problem with that. There were some, we had the conversation that didn't have an issue, you know, if we thought, hey, we might change the name of the church down the road. But there were some saying, oh, no, we don't want to do that. And that's okay. That's okay. No issue. No problem there. We all have our preferences. Some of you drive Fords. Some of you drive Chevys. Most of you drive foreign cars. Okay? That's okay. That's preference. But when we allow our preferences to divide us, then Satan is winning the battle. And that's why 
God told, matter of fact, Luke chapter 22, who is Jesus talking to? Come on, tell me. He's talking to Peter, isn't he? Peter, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. First Peter 5.8. Peter writes, be awake, be alert. We have an adversary. You know how Peter could write that? He experienced it. He experienced it. Folks, I'm sure one way or another we have experienced Satan working, both individually and collectively in there. And I believe we're going to see as time goes on, I believe we're going to see a concerted onslaught against the things of Christ against the things of God. Be it the church corporately or be it against believers individually. Folks, listen to me. I want to leave you with this advice. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't allow the enemy to use you to divide what God wants to do. Heads bowed and eyes closed, please.